You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we continue our series on John the Baptist with a message from Pastor Megan Wood titled, John in Prison. Let's check it out. Good morning. How's it going this morning? Good. Were you guys ready for the snow, rain, whatever that is outside? And we had like 70 degree weather this week, guys. It was like 70 degrees like two days ago. It was crazy. Um, But it is a couple weeks into November, so I feel we should expect it. So first of all, that video for Veterans Day was incredible, wasn't it? It was really well done. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for um, taking the time to do that video. And thank you so much for your service. Thank you to all our veterans. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you guys. And we know that one day a year isn't enough to show our gratitude. Is it? No. It most definitely is not. Well, we are fully launching in to our Christmas season starting next week. So you will be hearing all about carols and cocoa and our Christmas Eve services, which we are really excited about. As you know, if you came to carols and cocoa last year, that was absolutely crazy in all the best ways. It was insane. And I loved every part of it. I loved every bit of it. It was absolutely crazy. That's the best way I can describe it. It was just people everywhere. And we're expecting more of the same. So make sure that you get yourself prepared for it because it's going to be awesome. Um, So we've been in the series, the John the Baptist series for now. This is going on five weeks. So we've done four weeks. And I have to say that when we started talking about this series, I thought to myself, there's not that many scriptures about John the Baptist. How are we going to do two weeks of John the Baptist, let alone six weeks of John the Baptist? Yet we have managed to do now five weeks of John the Baptist. And I think we could have done more than that, actually. But... We've enjoyed it. Have we enjoyed the series so far? We've enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. So we did, so the first week we talked about John in the Old Testament. And we talked about how he prepared people to listen, how he prepared people to change, how he pre- and how he prepared people to choose. Then the second week we talked about the birth of John and how he, God exceeds expectations. The third week we talked about baptism and why baptism is so important. And then last week we talked about bold humility and how John was humble but confident, humble but active, and humble but important. And now that brings us up to this week. But what I've loved about the last few weeks is we've been kind of just moving through John's ministry, right? We've been talking about his birth, and we've been talking about how John's ministry is all about pointing to Jesus. That his ministry revolved around pointing people to Jesus, It was about preparing the way for the Messiah. He spent all of his time doing that. So kind of speaking of that, it actually really has nothing to do with that. 
Can I tell you a really embarrassing story? An embarrassing, does anybody like hearing the embarrassing stories in here? Especially if they're not about yourself. Can I tell you an embarrassing story about me? Is that okay? I, like, I actually might be one of the few people that likes telling embarrassing stories about myself. Um, I, I feel like I gotta get, just get it off my chest. And it only happened like two days ago. So it's actually very fresh. Um, so on Friday, it was, this is a holiday weekend. And I have to tell this really quick because I'm gonna run out of time if I don't. So Friday, it's a holiday weekend and my husband and I, we decide we're gonna go to Costco. And we did something really brave that we rarely ever do. We took the kids with us. And it was a holiday weekend and it's busy. And we ran into Jared Togis there who um, the Togeses are a family at church, and the Togeses are here today. They're actually over here on the right. And I don't know um, if, I'm hoping, I don't know if Jared, Jared was a part of this moment. Maybe he was. We'll find out. So um, we're at Costco, and um, my oldest son has found this new fascination with pushing the cart. He loves pushing the cart. He loves it. But the thing is, is he's very aggressive with pushing this cart. He loves pushing it, and I can't, I can't, like, it's just better that he pushes the cart, if you know what I'm saying. Any parent knows that sometimes it's just, you pick your battles, right? So, what I do is I do a very brave thing, guys. I put myself in front of the cart. It's for the best of all the people. It's for the greater good of all the people at Costco that I put myself there. So I'm in front of the cart at Costco, and I do this thing where I just grab the cart behind me, and I just hope to God that the cart doesn't clip my heels, and I just stop it. Anytime we get to the end of, of the aisle so he doesn't hit anybody with the cart. So we're doing this whole thing through the aisles. Well, we are almost about to check out. We get to the end of the aisle, and I'm not paying attention. I'm just in the rhythm of doing this, grabbing the cart, and... I see that we're getting to the end, and it's really busy because we're getting close to the checkouts. And as we get towards the end, I hear the cart coming up really fast behind me. So what do I do? I grab it, and I say, hold on. Stop. I'll let you know when it's safe to go. And I'm holding the cart, and this person in front of me is in the big aisle, and they're just looking at me, and they're kind of looking at me a little strange, but I didn't think anything of it. And then they just motioned to me that it was safe to go. So I kind of grabbed the cart and gave it a little yank to say it's safe to go. And I proceed to go. They, there's a little bit of resistance, but, you know, it's not unusual. It's an 11-year-old, doesn't like to, you know. So I walk across the aisle, and I get to the next aisle, and I grab something off the shelf, and I go to turn to get put in the cart. My family is nowhere to be found. I realized in that moment, you guys, what I did. I grabbed some, some stranger's cart, guys, some innocent person's cart, and said to them, stop. I will tell you when it is safe to go. And then I looked at them, and then I, I didn't look. I didn't look, or of course I wouldn't have did that. And then I said, okay, guys, it's safe to go. In the middle of Costco. I'm hoping, so Jared, if that was you, I apologize for the awkwardness and weirdness. And I'm really actually hoping, Jared, it was your cart because that would make it actually less weird. But I'm really worried it was another stranger. Again, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but I actually feel a little bit better that I got it off my chest. 
Anyway, so John, so I was preparing the way in Costco. Can we, just, can we just say that? I was preparing the way unbeknownst to me. So John was preparing the way for Jesus. And then he had this ministry. And then he baptizes Jesus, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. He goes and he baptizes Jesus. And after John baptizes Jesus, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. He goes into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. When he comes back from the wilderness, he comes back and he starts his ministry. And this is how he starts his ministry, right? He goes into the synagogue and he reads a really important passage from the book of Isaiah. He reads it from Isaiah 61. And this is what he quotes. And this, you can find this in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the one that you're waiting for. The spirit of the Lord has anointed Jesus to bring the good news to the poor. He has set the captives and the oppressed free. He has come to set them free so that the blind may see. And this is being fulfilled through Jesus. This is all going to be fulfilled through him. Shortly after he says this, John gets himself into trouble and finds himself in prison. So let's look back at Luke 3 to find out why John finds himself in prison. In Luke 3, this is what it says. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding, his, adding this sin to his many others. So this alludes to a buildup, but the tipping point is he has criticized Herod's marriage. So he's ended up in prison because of that. But we're going to look at Mark's gospel today and see some of John's dealings with King Herod. But the Roman, at this time, the Roman Empire occupied Jerusalem. But they allowed the locals to have a king that had a small level of power. Herod represented the Jewish people. He was expected to be their king. But John was criticizing Herod because his values didn't represent God's values and God's law. He didn't represent them. So then in Mark, this is what it says. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. See, Herod didn't want to arrest John. He is doing it as a favor to his wife. He didn't want to do it. He was doing it a favor to his wife. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. See, so John has this surprising relationship with Herod. 
a surprising relationship. It's kind of weird. It says that Herod liked to listen to John. It's kind of strange, right? You would want to listen to someone who's telling you something you don't like to hear, saying you're doing something wrong, but yeah, he wants to listen to, he wants, he's like, tell me more, John. Tell me more. Herod hasn't killed him despite his wife wanting him dead. God is still using John while he's in prison. Yet, even with having Herod's favor in prison, prison has to weigh on you after a while. Right? After a while of being in prison, no matter how good the circumstances are, it has to weigh on you. I found it interesting preparing for this message because I've always viewed John as this really strong guy, living off the land, eating locusts, honey, telling people to repent, kind of this Turner burn guy, probably unshaven, lots of hair, burly kind of guy. And preparing this message kind of forced me to look at him in a different light. So we're going to be looking at the humanity of John today. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I just pray for, as we go into this message today, God, I just pray, God, that um, you would just speak. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, God, that your presence, God, would just be felt in this place, God. God, that I pray that as um, we would just even be able to put ourselves in the place of John this morning and feel empathy and maybe even relate a little bit. God, I pray that we would uh, listen today and we would um, look, listen to this message and find uh, what you want to speak to us today and what you want to say to us in this message, God. God, I pray that you would use this message to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. See, as John is sitting in prison, Jesus has started his public ministry. And this brings us to Luke chapter 7. Something that's worth remembering is that John has given his whole entire life at this point to preparing the way for Jesus' public ministry. He spent his whole entire life for this. But instead of being able to see it up close and personal, instead of being a part of it at this point, he's sitting in a prison cell alone. He's not able to be a part of it or get to see it. This is what it says in Luke 7. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So what we know about Jesus' ministry up to this point is that he's was, he fasted for 40 days. He was tempted in the desert. He read from Isaiah at the synagogue. He cast out demons. He's been healing people. He's been preaching. He's been gathering disciples. He's ticked off some Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. He's taught the crowd how to love each other well. And, he's been raised, and he just raised someone from the dead. So after just raising someone from the dead... It says this, so John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? See, John has his doubts. 
He's uncertain. Despite Jesus having just raised someone from the dead, John has some doubts. Maybe it's because he's in prison. There's probably some depression that has set in. Maybe some questioning. He's maybe questioning whether his whole entire life up to this point has been worth it. Everything that he's dedicated his life to. At this point, it could have been as long of a, as a year that he's been in prison. He might be asking, is Jesus the one? Is Jesus the Messiah? He is asking that. He's saying, Jesus, are you the Messiah? I need to know. Are you the one? And then it says, John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told Jesus, John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Jesus is re-quoting Isaiah just as he did back in chapter 4. I believe that he's doing this for John's benefit. The purpose of Jesus reading from Isaiah in the synagogue was for the benefit of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were searching, looking for the fulfillment of the messianic promises. Here is what it says in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's answering all of that. He's reminding John that, yes, I said that I was the Messiah, and I plan to fulfill what I promised to fulfill. This is what John has been preparing for. This is who he has been pointing people to. He's un he understood the scriptures promising a Messiah. Isaiah's prophecy alluded to the Messiah being a resemblance of the year of Jubilee to the Jewish people. The year of Jubilee is not something we have a frame of reference for. But it was an important part of the life for the Old Testament people. This is what Barry Webb says about it in the message of Isaiah. The servant Messiah speaks as an anointed preacher. And the burden of his preaching is the year of the Lord's favor. This is almost certainly an allusion to the year of Jubilee. As described in the law of Moses, every 50th year was to be proclaimed a year of release in which debts were canceled, slaves were freed, and people who had been forced to sell their family property because of poverty released it back again. It was called the year of Jubilee, literally year of the ram's horn. Because of the horn trumpet, which was blown to announce its arrival, the expression proclaim freedom employs exactly the same Hebrew words as the command in Leviticus 25.10 to proclaim liberty. In the year of Jubilee, the preaching of the servant Messiah is like the blast of the ram's horn, which ushered in the new year of Jubilee. It proclaims the arrival of a time of grace, a time of release. Members of the restored community, like many before them, 
many may well have wondered at these words, since the full identity of the preacher was yet to be revealed. Nevertheless, they would have found much here to encourage them in their particular situation. In a sense, the year of the Lord's favor had begun for them with their release from captivity and their return to their own land. They had already received comfort and healing for their broken hearts and lives and the good news of their pardon. And they could already see the promise of verse 4 beginning to be fulfilled. A start, however small and feeble, had been made in rebuilding the ancient ruins. So this message would have had a special significance for them. But the fulfillment that came with Jesus had given it a far richer meaning for us today. The year of the Lord's favor, which he inaugurated, is still in force and will continue to be so right through until this coming again. Throughout this whole period, the good news which is preached is the Christian gospel. Jesus himself was the first to proclaim it after being anointed by the Spirit at his baptism. So, although it may not look how John might have expected it to look, Jesus has been healing and setting people free. He's been doing all of those things. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, demons are being cast out, the dead were raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. This is truly the year of Jubilee. People are being set free. However, maybe John, I just wonder if maybe John is more frustrated that Jesus hasn't set him free. John is stuck in a physical prison. All this freedom is happening for many people, but John is still behind bars. Maybe he is asking, why haven't you set me free? This is what it says in the expositor's commentary. The healings and presumably also the raising of the widow's son apparently have not sufficed to convince John of Jesus' messiahship. The reluctance seems strange considering John's role in announcing the coming one and in baptizing Jesus. There are several reasons why John needed further confirmation. He was in prison. This could lead to depression and in turn doubt. Further, he might wonder why. If the Messiah was to release prisoners and if Jesus was the object of that prediction, he had not freed John. Maybe John hears Jesus say, he has come to set the captives free. And he's thinking, after all I have done, why aren't you setting me free if you are the Messiah? After all I've done, I've spent my whole entire life doing this. I've spent my whole entire life I'm in here because, I, because of you. I'm in here because I've been proclaiming the truth for you. And you aren't setting me free. You're leaving me in here in prison. Remember, he could have been in prison as long as a year at this point. The disappointment is easy to imagine when you think of it that way. I don't know if you're like me, but I never thought of it that way. John is possibly wondering, why can't I witness what I've been working my whole entire life for? Where is my rescue? Is Jesus even the Messiah that he claims to be? We've all been there, right? 
where if we've had disappointments or things haven't worked out how we thought they should or would, the job that didn't come through, the family member that wasn't healed, our own healing, the reconciliation we are still waiting on, the family member with the addiction, maybe it's our own addiction, infertility, depression, hopelessness, doubt, anxiety. Maybe these are things that we've been through and maybe they're things we're going through right now. We've all been there or maybe we're currently walking through those right now. You know, I was thinking about it and I could tell so many stories of when I've walked through things. There's some of them that I still can't share without losing it and crying up here. So those ones I'll save for another day when I could share them without crying. But one of them that I would share with you is that I remember when our son Elijah was diagnosed with autism. And it had come off of a really, some really, really difficult seasons. And um, I had lost my brother a few years before that. He'd passed away. And then we had had a miscarriage. And then after the miscarriage, then my youngest son had had a major um, cranial surgery. And then Elijah was about four years old, and he was diagnosed with autism. And we were in the middle of this small little town in the middle of Montana. And we were in our very first paid ministry job. And I remember the feeling of disappointment in that season and doubt. Because I remember thinking to myself, God, when does it stop. God, surely I've picked myself up. I keep putting my trust in you. I keep doing all these things. And here we are, you know, and I know what it's like to be there. And I've had seasons again since then of disappointment and seasons of having to just remember God's faithfulness, right? We've all been there. I don't know if we ever get to a spot of where we arrive and we just don't have seasons of doubt. We just have those seasons, right? Just like John, we can find ourselves with doubts and disappointments, But how did Jesus address John's concerns? He said, I'm doing what I promised I would do. He says, I'm doing what I promised I would do. I'm healing people. I'm setting people free. He points John to all the things that he's doing. Look around you and see how God is working. See how he's fulfilling his promises. This is the same for us today. When we have our doubts, it is the same for us today. It may not feel like it or look like it for us, but it is still true. If we lift our eyes, we can see God at work all around us. 
Even if you're in prison fighting doubt and disappointment, God is at work fulfilling what he has promised. He is at work fulfilling what he has promised. This is Jesus' response to John's doubts and disappointments. It's grace. He responds with grace. He is not harsh towards John, but he responds with grace. And I love this so much because listen how he responds. Listen how Jesus responds and how he talks about John after John's disciples leave. So this isn't while John's disciples are still there. John's disciples still aren't aren't in the room. They've left. He could criticize John's doubts, but instead this is what he says. Luke 7, 24. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scripture refers, or to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I will tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Jesus only speaks. Jesus only speaks the best of John. He only speaks the best of John. Behind closed doors, he could say whatever he wanted. He could criticize John, but he only speaks highly of John. He addresses John's doubt by asking rhetorical questions to his disciples. He asks the disciples, he says, remember when John, before John was in prison, he says, is John a reed? Is he easily swayed? Of course not. Does he only care about status? No. I think he's saying, is he like the Pharisees? No. He's not like the Pharisees. But is he a prophet? Yes. And then he takes it a step forward, a step forward, and he says, he's greater, though. He's greater than the prophets. And think about all the prophets of the Old Testament that you can think of. Think of all of them. He's saying he's greater. He's greater than all of those prophets. There is none greater than John. So think about what God says about you. When you have your doubts and your concerns, God doesn't close the door and then say, can you believe them? Can you believe after all I've done for them, can you believe that they would still doubt me? He still speaks highly of you and how great you are. See, I always had this picture of John being in prison with purpose. And it's not even biblically founded. I don't know why I had it. Maybe maybe you had the same idea, maybe you didn't. But I always had 
this vision and picture of John being in prison with purpose, almost as if he knew it was his destiny. I thought that maybe he went to prison knowing that when he walked in there, he wasn't coming out. That maybe he knew that when he baptized Jesus, that his life was coming to an end. That's what I thought. But what if John didn't know that at all? What if John thought that he was gonna be a part of Jesus' ministry? What if he thought he was gonna be there right with Jesus and his disciples? And so when he found himself in prison, it wasn't at all what he expected. What if he's like all of us and he was just as disappointed when things didn't quite turn out the way he expected them to? What if he's questioning it all? It appears as if John had his own doubts. We have all been in that place. We've all been in that place where we have had our hearts set on how we think God is gonna do something and where God is taking us in our journey and found ourselves in a different spot. And if you haven't yet, there will be a point in time where you find yourself there. Yet Jesus is so kind. He's so kind. He gives grace for our doubts. He doesn't think less of us or treat us unkindly. Your doubts and your disappointment and your questions don't make you evil or cause you to be rejected. God anticipates our doubts and is committed to writing them out with us. Somehow our impact and influence can still be significant even when we question his goodness. I wonder if John was sitting in that prison cell and when he went in there, he said, he went in there almost thinking, I've got this, I've got this. Jesus is gonna come in, he'll be in here in a couple days and I'll be good. He's gonna come in, he's gonna set me free. And then a couple of days went by and he was like, okay, Jesus, come on, come on, Jesus. And then weeks went by, he was like, Jesus, come on. Are you gonna come get me? And then months started to go by. And it was like, all right, Jesus, where are you? I thought you said you were the Messiah. Surely the Messiah that I know, the Messiah that I've been preaching, the Messiah that I thought you were, that Messiah would come and set me free. But the Messiah hasn't come and set me free yet. Are you the Messiah? Then I wonder if the next question was almost scarier than the first question, or the answer was almost scarier than the question, right? Because then if the answer was, yes, I am the Messiah, then that was a whole nother question of if you are the Messiah, then why wouldn't the Messiah come and set me free? And I wonder if we've all been in that spot where we thought, this isn't the Jesus that I thought you were. Because the Jesus I thought you were would do this. The Jesus I thought you were would heal 
this person, the Jesus I thought you were would bring my kid home, the Jesus I thought you were would heal my marriage, or Jesus I thought you were would heal my family member of their addiction. Maybe it looks differently for you, but I wonder if John had some of those same questions. But yet, John was still in prison. And John was still teaching his disciples while he was in prison. He had an audience with King Herod. God was still using him. God was still using him and amidst all of that. God's plan for John was different, possibly, than the plan John had for himself. But God was still using him. This is what Psalm 103 says. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. I wanna share this story with you. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. But it's a story about a, a song. It's my favorite. It actually just so happens to be my favorite hymn. My favorite hymn, It Is Well. Um, it's written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. And he's, um, he was a guy who lived in Chicago in the late 1800s. And he had a family and he faced multiple tragedies. And um, the first tragedy he faced was his um, son who passed away from scarlet fever. A couple of late years later, his business burnt down in the Chicago fires. And then his family, they decided to go on a vacation and they were going over to Europe for, I think it was the Dwight Moody, um, they were doing crusades over there. And he sent them ahead of him. He had to do some business dealings in, the, um, in Chicago. And he sent them ahead and they got on a ship and they were taking a ship across the Atlantic and their boat capsized. And the only one to survive that boat that capsized was his wife. And so his wife had to send a telegram back saying that she was the only one who had survived. And so when he got on the ship to make it across the Atlantic, when they came to the place where his daughters had um, passed away, he wrote the song, It Is Well. And he wrote these lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my, my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God is kind to us. God makes room for our doubts and our shortcomings. When the door is shut, when he's behind closed doors, 
he only speaks kindly of us. He doesn't list off all our weaknesses. He lists off the things he loves about us. While John was in prison, Jesus reassures him, I am fulfilling what I said I would. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't get it, even if it doesn't make sense to you, I am fulfilling what I said I would. In the midst of your doubts, you will find a loving God who reassures with kindness and compassion. And like John, hopefully we can see that Jesus is fulfilling his promises all around us. If you're in this room today and you're facing disappointment and you're facing doubt, you're not alone. And I kind of hope that that's what you get from this message. When I was preparing this message, I had no idea that that's where this message was gonna go at all. Um, In fact, like I said, I had no idea that I Like, that's never how I'd read a story about John the Baptist. But if one thing I want you to get from that is that you aren't alone. And that God has grace for that. God has grace for your doubts. God has grace for you. And that he loves you through it. And I think you'd be surprised to find that you're not the only one in this room that's walking through a difficult season, who has questions, who doesn't understand it. And so what we're gonna do this morning is I'm gonna have the prayer team come forward and we're gonna make some time We're gonna do a bit of an altar call, but I also wanna make some time for people to make a decision because I wanna let you know that if you're in this room and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, this is the morning to make that decision. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know what? I'm going through a difficult time and Um, this I have lots of questions about God I get it I get it lots of doubts I get it and God has grace for you but I want to pray with you this morning I want to give an opportunity for you to make a decision this morning and to say, God, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make that decision to follow you this morning. I'm gonna put you first. I want that peace. I want that assurance of knowing. So if that's you this morning, with all heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're online with us, you can push the hand, the button that says hands raised this morning. And if you're in person with us, if you want to just raise your hand, I'm just looking around the room from my right to the left. Yes, I see. Yep. See you in the back. Yeah. See you. Yes. Yeah. I'm over in the center now.
over to my left. Anybody else that I can pray for this morning? I don't want to miss anyone. time. I'm just going to make my way one more time across the room. If I didn't catch your hand around the first time around. Yeah. Yes. All right. Can we celebrate hands being raised this morning? It's the best decision that you'll ever make. Can easily say it's the best decision that I've ever made and I can say that anyone standing up here in front of me would also say that that is the best decision that they've ever made I also want to do something else but before that let's go ahead and pray this prayer if you want to just repeat it after me if you and everyone repeat this after me especially for those of you who raised your hand Lord Jesus I believe you died for me I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.